This is episode number 131 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode we have Matt Swope. Matt is the hitting coach at the University of Maryland, and I had a great conversation with him. It's pretty interesting because he doesn't have the the typical background that you would uh, imagine for a high school or for a college coach at the Division One level. Um, he actually was out of baseball for several years and talks a little bit about it in this episode. He even worked at a construction firm as a project manager. Um, he was with the Department of Defense and. Just a pretty unique story of kind of how he got to where he's at. And he kind of also talks about um, what he does with his players, um, just from a, a mechanic standpoint, a practice standpoint, and then also recruiting as well. We get into you know how he recruits, what he likes to look for, what he likes and doesn't like about the current recruiting kind of circuit, as you will. Um, so awesome stuff. Um and again, I think everyone is going to enjoy this. So if you haven't already, make sure to head on over to BlastMotion.com. Uh, type in code PJB25 for $25 off. Again, BlastMotion, it's the best bat sensor on the market. Head on over there, BlastMotion.com. Type in code PJB25 for $25 off. Now batting, Matt Swope. <laughs> All right, and we are now live with the hitting coach for the University of Maryland, Matt Swope. Matt, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate you having me, bud. All right, so uh, if you could give everyone just a little bit of your background and then maybe um, one interest outside of baseball as well. So my background is I'm, I'm kind of born and bred Maryland. I'm actually live in Washington, D.C. right now. I'm actually looking at the monument, which is which is pretty cool. Um, I grew up in PG County, about five minutes actually from the University of Maryland. Uh, went to DeMatha Catholic High School, um, an all-boys Catholic high school, literally on Route 1, um, the same road that Maryland's on. So um, have a lot of pride for the area, the DMV, have a lot of pride for Maryland. Um, both my parents actually went to University of Maryland. They got they got married at the chapel on campus. So um, the kind of running joke um, at Maryland above, among the employees is, is kind of like I'm the mayor of College Park. So um, got a lot of passion for it and uh, some interest. Uh, pretty much just music and movies. I've always been really into music too. Um, I've actually have turntables and vinyl in my apartment, so uh, music's always kind of been a big part of me as well. What kind of what's like your favorite type of music? My favorite group of all time is a tribe called Quest. So it's like an infusion of like jazz and j- jazz and hip hop from the '90s. So um, probably like late '80s, early '90s hip hop is my favorite. But uh, Big fan of jazz. I have some jazz artists in my in my family, and um, uh, mostly some hip hop. But I, you know, I kind of like everything. Back from the Beatles, Queen, anything you can name, probably. So pretty old school. Yeah, I'm more old school. I mean, I'm almost forty, man. So you know, I think that's <laughs> that was kind of like the '80s and '90s are, are, are kind of my uh, my shining light. So you said you you like movies too. Who's your favorite actor or actress, whatever? Um, probably Denzel. Yes. I mean, he's just, yes. He, He's just so good, man. You know, it's it's he's one of those guys that literally you can put him into any role, and and he's just the greatest. So, uh, big fan of Denzel. I like Russell Crowe a lot, but it was hard to watch him in anything else after Gladiator because he was so good in that. Um, but yeah, Denzel is definitely at the top of my list. So I know you said you went to Dematha mm-hmm. High School. Isn't that like aren't aren't they really well known for being really good in sports? Yeah, it's a it's an all boys Catholic school um, right outside D.C. For people that don't know, Maryland's only eight miles from Washington, D.C. So 
Um, you know, DeMatha gets a good mix of like the DC and Maryland athletes. And yeah, it's just a powerhouse. Um, I was lucky uh, enough to play basketball, football and baseball there um, with the likes of like Brian Westbrook and football and um, basketball. Keith Bogans and Joe Forte were there when I was there, too. So, wow. um, yeah, just just it's a powerhouse and um, good structure. It, it shaped a lot who I was, you know, having to wear a tie and a coat and um, take some religion classes and, and kind of get that structure early on. Um, so still big fans of them. I go back and watch the basketball games, try to make it to the football games. And just, it's a big part of how I grew up. So you had to wear a tie every day, every day. Yep. Whoa. So took a lot of pride in that. And, uh, freshmen and sophomores wear Navy blue blazers and, uh, juniors and seniors wore maroon. So, um, had to wear a blazer too. So that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, in a yeah. sense, really. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, you know, the things, I mean, there's depending on where you're at and what areas, um, there's parts of DC and PG County that aren't the greatest. So getting that structure where you're learning to dress like that, um, actually really prepared me for college in a different way. So it actually made me probably where college I didn't think was as hard because I had so much structure in, in high school mm-hmm. from, um, from the sports and stuff like that. So it was great. Now, did you grow up with, so did you, when you grew up, were you a Baltimore Orioles fan? I was, I was. So for me, you know, back in the eighties, you know, that's when like, you know, there was only the Orioles and Redskins. So, like, I'm a diehard Redskins fan, big-time Orioles fan. It's Even though I, I was actually drafted by the Nationals because I went through um, I went through the, the change from the Expos. I got drafted by the Expos in 02 and went through the change of the Nationals. So it's hard for me still, though, to root for the Nats and the Ravens. I'm sorry, Mike Rizzo, because he's a friend of mine, too. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I'm just so – I'm so loyal to my team, whether it's high school or college and – and pro. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Orioles fan. So it's, it's tough right now, but you know, I think Elias has got it in the right direction and then they finally have some, some purpose and, um, and actually what they're doing in, instead of just kind of going about it. Like it seemed like they were for the past five years. So when you were drafted by the expo, like the expos, did you actually yeah. play for the expos or was it that first no. year that they changed? No, I actually, yeah. So I was in their system for a couple of years, so they didn't change till, um, I got released. So I went through a pretty rough bout. I got back to back shoulder surgeries with Dr. Andrews in Alabama. So um, just got unlucky where I got kind of hurt in pro ball um, and spent a lot of time mostly in Florida rehabbing. So that's pretty rare as a position player, isn't it? Yeah, it was unfortunate. Never really experienced any injuries in college and, you know, did real well in college, put up some good numbers. And just one day, man, the ball was wet and kind of slipped out of my finger the wrong way. And I kind of felt it in that like, bicep tendon area and it was uh downhill from there um rushed my rehab the first time a little bit and then uh just because i was so determined um and they shaved my bone down the second time and just just didn't really couldn't really ever come back i went back to play independent ball in 05 um and 06 with the with the washington wild things and great organization great independent organization of frontier league up by uh, pittsburgh um and had a good year but at that point like i had my college degree and Anybody knows how the cost of living is back in D.C. It's not easy to just come back here in the offseason and, and not make money. So what like when you were still playing in pro ball, um, how did you have a job in the offseason or how did you manage that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I you know, you can give lessons here. But actually, you know, when I came back the first year, I went to bartending school. <laughs> oh, really? So I, yeah. I actually learned formally for like three weeks. They're really tough, uh, really tough class. It's it's more than people realize. Um and I worked at a couple of high-end restaurants, so 
Um, it was pretty cool, but you know, just something that you can kind of pick up and take anywhere when you got kind of the lifestyle of a pro baseball player. Was that money pretty good doing bartending? Yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, that's why it's so hard to leave. I think it's, it's cash and it's a lot of cash at the beginning. There's just not a lot of high end to it. You know, once you're in it for 10 years, you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so how many years did you said you did that for 10 years? What's that bartend? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Once I was done pro ball, I went, you know, I went to just work in normal business. So, um, I worked for a construction firm a little bit as a project manager, then um, went and got a job with the Department of Defense. So I did that for two or three years, um, was doing a lot of stuff in, in the Middle East. And and basically one day I was just like, you know, my heart's in the game. You know, every weekend I'm, I'm going to see baseball, football, I'm giving lessons. Like I just, my heart was in the game. So took a huge pay cut, um, moved back home for a year. Um, and this is right when the transition, when Eric Backage was, uh, the coach at Maryland and was going to Michigan and, you know, he was willing to give me an opportunity to go to Michigan with him. But he said, Hey, let me give me a call to John chef, who was the new head coach at Maryland. Um, and, and coach chef was, was nice enough to give me a chance. And, um, obviously I wanted to stay. So, um, that's how I kind of got back in baseball. Yeah. I'm glad you kind of filled in the gaps because I was looking at your bio and I was actually going to ask you like, what were you doing from like Oh five to like when you got back to the university of Maryland, that's yeah. pretty cool that you were in like at, in the department of defense. You said you were doing a lot of stuff in the middle East. What, yeah. like, what was that like? Just contracting stuff. Like, I mean, some of it was cool, you know, as far as like top secret stuff and had to have my clearance and all that. It, it just, it was something that I think at that point in my life, you know, you, t you read so many books. I just got done reading the, um, the shoe dog book by Phil Knight. He's just like, if, if you're ever not passionate about what you do, you just got to get out and you got to find that passion and scratch and claw for it however you can. And, you know, I kind of got to that point where, um, I couldn't talk about some of the stuff and it was just, it was just time for me to whatever it took to just make that sacrifice and, um, get to my calling and get back in the game. So you were even like while you were working there, you were still doing like lessons and stuff on the side. Yeah, I mean, I'm always been involved in the game, whether it's, you know, back at the math or, um, you know, through other organizations. So, um, yeah, I've never left the game and my heart's always been there. And um, just with all the other sports that's going on in the area, it was it's it's like always been a, a true passion of mine. I actually did um, a radio show on ESPN 1300 in Baltimore with one of my good friends that played football in Maryland. So I did that for a couple of years as well. Um, so I'm super passionate about sports radio, um, especially DC radio around here. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, like kind of on the side when I was working as well. Man, you, you've had an interesting uh, career. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I think if uh, I can give somebody advice cause I've, I've dabbled in it all, but you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful and blessed to be back at my alma mater and, um, you know, I think the detriment to who I am sometimes is I have too much passion for Maryland. But um, if that's my detriment, then, you know, I'll take that. Yeah, that's, that, that's not a bad thing. So when yeah. you got back to the University of Maryland, you were the director of baseball operations, right? Yep, that started in 2012. What, like, what's that position like for those people who may not know? Yeah, that's actually was one of the best things that happened to me because, you know, I think sometimes like, you know, head coaches, obviously, they're the CEO of the program, but the assistant coaches – are recruiting so much and so one track minded to get players and, and developing, developing guys on the field that they don't get exposed to a lot behind the scenes. So I was actually excited to do this first because I was able to run the budget, um, um, do understand all the fundraising. Uh, I do did all the help chef with all the scheduling of games. So, 
really all the little nuances of how to be a head coach, I kind of learned that first. And that was like, you know, being that I was a tick older, getting back in the game, that was huge for me because I was able to kind of just absorb all that like a sponge. And, um, you know, once I got to get into a formal coaching role, um, all that stuff kind of integrates in itself to where now, you know, hopefully I'll be prepared to be a head coach at some point. So once you made that transition into becoming um, that full-time assistant coach, what was there something that's maybe surprised you that maybe you weren't expecting? No, I mean, honestly, like I was, I never missed one second of practice, even when I was doing the operation stuff, um, totally involved in, in every single meeting and all that. And, and I thank Coach Chef for including me in that stuff and, and, and willing to be open for that um, because trust me, not not every coach is like that. And he was just, um, always willing to, to learn um, and, and be open to everything. So I'm thankful for that. So no, not, not much surprised me, um, you know, just being just totally engulfed in everything that we were doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, I think that you're always learning as a coach. So there's things once you actually um, probably get in game situations or whatever it may be that you're always learning. But that's, that's no different than everyday um, baseball, you know. How, uh, how have you liked uh, recruiting, being on the road, recruiting a lot? I love evaluating, you know, I'm not going to lie to showcase baseball a little bit. I can get into that, that I'm not, you know, totally a huge fan of, um, today. And I, you know, I probably have some controversial opinions about that, but, um, I like to evaluate a lot. Um, I think it's something that even I've struggled thinking like, man, if I'm a head coach one day and I'm not recruiting as much, like, um, am I going to be able to, you know, just take someone else's opinion for granted, you know, as opposed to being able to evaluate. So, big fan of it. I try to evaluate high school, um, even college and pro, like even when I'm watching pro, like how would I evaluate this person if I was a scout, um, at this highest of level. So, um, I like the evaluation piece. I don't like to showcase baseball per se. Um, because I feel like the kids these days, um, they're just not practicing as much and they don't know the game as much. Um, it's great that we're getting everybody in one spot so they can be evaluated, but you know, exit velocity or how hard they're throwing, um, and all that stuff, you know, is, is kind of like the main focus of a lot of this, um, which we're reading everywhere. And, you know, I, I just think the practicing and understanding, you know, whether it's base running or how to play the game or holding runners on and communication and all that stuff is um, that gets missed a little bit in today's game. So you, you don't like showcase baseball just specifically because you, you feel like the, the kids these days aren't actual like a lot of them aren't baseball players. They just kind of out there just to get higher numbers correct uh i mean i think you watch a major league game what do you see you see launch angle right they 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 say launch angle and they see the exit velocity you know what i mean but you know what was wade boggs you know launch angle and exit velocity and trust me don't i don't want to sound like an old fart you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but at the same time like you know i think a lot of that the kids watch that every day so every showcase you go to everything you see it's the same thing um and back when there was Babe Ruth and Legion, you practice three or four days a week and all these little nuances of, you know, having feel for the barrel or, or, or knowing what to do in certain situations is just it's not even close to being um, in the in the normal gameplay at like a showcase event. It's just not. Do you think, um, do you that, think that's ever going to change the showcase format? I mean, I think it's I think it's great for college coaches to evaluate because it gets people it gets people all at the same spot. But everything's so trendy. So I'd like to think that stuff will revert back to, um, you know, being a good baseball player on top of having tools. But, you know, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, strikeouts, I mean, we can get into this, but strikeouts are up at an alarming rate in the major leagues. Walks are up at an alarming rate. So at some point, you know, when you only have 10, 300 hitters, if that a year now, you know, things are going to revert at some point, I would think. But you just never know um, with analytics and the way things are going. For sure. Uh, going back to recruiting for a second, one of the things that I, I want to ask you about is, you talked about it, you know, you enjoy evaluating players and scouting and things like that. Like, what do you look for when you're when you are out recruiting um, players? Well, talent first, man. I think anybody, any coach that that's on a high level and your job's on a line that, that told you something also be lying. Um, obviously, the guy's got to be talented. Um, and, and that depends on what the position is. Right. Like, you know, catchers are different than first baseman. Middle infielders are different than outfielders. Like, um, I think you're looking at it then position wise. So um, depending on what the position is, what you what you care about as a staff for me, um, you know, I'm looking for very specific things with hitters Um, for infielders. I'm looking at actions. I'm looking a lot about communication, Um, you know, and then depending on how the outfielders are, just looking at the fluidity of their hips, how they kind of move. Are they stiff? Um, And then, you know, once we're we're, kind of like assessing, okay, this person's a follower, could be talented enough. and then you kind of delve into their background a little bit, talking to their high school coach, um, you know, finding out even a little bit about the parents. Um, so um, I think, uh, you know, obviously always talent first, and then you kind of dig into the background a little bit after that. Uh, you always hear stories of, like, coaches showing up and, like, like watching the kid, like, walk from the car to the field and all that stuff. Like, is that true? For me more, it's like social media. So, like, I'll always, like, go on Instagram or Twitter because I think it's a great tool that – you know, you know, I utilize and, and pretty much every young, you know, young athlete does today. I would just go on Twitter. So see how they handle themselves. Like um, what kind of stuff are they posting? Um, you know, is it derogatory? Is it fun? Is are they gym rats? All these little things. So you're really assessing everything. Um, you know, obviously with the showcase stuff, like I'm sure there's stories about that. But I think social media is just an easy way to kind of quickly learn about someone's um, personality and how they kind of carry themselves. Uh, do you have any like re- uh, crazy recruiting stories of like a kid who just randomly emailed you and you ended up like for some random reason going to watch him play and ended up signing him? Yeah, I got a good one for you. So, um, so Kevin Smith, I don't know if you know about Kevin Smith. He's in double A right now. Um, he actually hit over 20 home runs and had 20 steals last year. I'm um, in the state league for, uh, for the blue Jays. So, um, Kevin was a guy where I'll never forget this. I'm in my office the night before camp, actually the day before camp. And his dad calls me, they're from upstate New York. And he says, Hey man, like, you know, is this really worth it to come down there? Do you guys actually sign guys from these camps? And I proceeded to tell him a story that, um, this is way back in the day when I was in Maryland. The only reason that Maryland really knew about me, even though I was close is that I went to, uh, a two-day camp over Christmas and really showed out and got my opportunity to play here because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, you know, man, it's all worth it. If, if, if Maryland's a place that you really could see yourself playing and wanting to go, then it's absolutely worth it. And what's funny is, is that he was a projectable kid. You could tell a little bit, had big feet, had great hands, swing was okay. Um, but we had a draft guy out of high school that was a shortstop draft guy. And he ended up beating him out as a freshman and started as a freshman on um, a super regional team. So um, that's that's a good story where his dad, you know, I'm sure they were 
they were minutes away from not coming to the camp, but I was lucky enough to kind of tell them and convince them and, and the rest is history. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that because, um, first of all, that's a really cool story, but second off, you hear so much about camps. And so I'm kind of glad you hit on like, they can actually be like really beneficial. Yeah. We just put a stat out. Um, and I'll text it to you after I'm done too. I think I've posted at some point, like in the past, I think two or three years since I've been there, 31 of the 35 players on a roster have been to one of our camps. What? So yeah, 31 of 35. So this is no longer a moneymaker for us um, with them. You know, I'm sure you're aware they've changed the rules where we're no longer to bring in ninth and 10th graders in for unofficial visits where we used to really um, give really good presentations, give them a tour. They really can see how we interact with the kids. Uh, we can't do that anymore. So the I, actually, only I didn't rule, know that. Yeah, they changed the rule last year. So we used to crush our visits because we all were in them and did a good job with them. But they changed the rules. So now um, – the only way I can interact with a kid on the field and, and really get to, to, to coach him up a little bit in a couple of days or one day setting is if he comes to camp. So my biggest recommendation um, for all student athletes is now is that this isn't a moneymaker anymore. They should have a list of three to five schools that are realistic to them um, from the highest of top end at their dream school to something that maybe, um, you know, is something more local that, that even if they did want to go to and attend those camps because it's the only way that they're really going to get a feel for how the guys coach and what they're getting themselves into. Um, all these coaches, you know, we talk on the phone, you know, hours upon hours a week, they all can talk, you know, they all can sell you on stuff, but, um, it's super important for the kids to actually see the school interact with the coaches because nothing is the biggest pet peeve for me today is, and it happens all the time. Um, and I don't think it's appropriate. So I would definitely recommend that the kids attend a, a prospect camp or, a hitting camp or a pitching camp or something where they can really interact with the coaches. Love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you, uh, you brought, you brought that up and kind of explained why that's such a big, uh, asset. Um, just kind of getting into now, like how you kind of approach, um, your job as a hitting coach right now at, you know, at Maryland, like what kind of things do you have like a, a core philosophy when it comes to hitting for your team? Well, I mean, for me personally, like I never want to cookie cut hitters. So I think every single hitter is different. So I try to I try to coach every single hitter differently. And it's very hard in this setting today because obviously for compliance reasons, we only get so much time with them a week. Um, so, you know, my job as a hitting coach is if, if I can't development to me, if I can't get the kid to understand um, what he's doing and be his own coach at eight or nine o'clock at night when he come and does an extra hitting, then I'm not doing my job. Because if I just come in and put all my hitters in the same drill every day and, and just tell them to be good, that's not going to benefit our hitters. So, you know, what we do, I think, is and, and I'm sure other schools do this. Um, we give each one of our hitters an individual plan. So before they come out to the field and hit every day, each one of them has about two or three exercises that they have to do to get better. Um, that could be um, a T drill. It could be off the bands. It could be separation um, it could be a med ball circuit. It could be a hip mobility thing. So, um, you know, we try to coach all our hitters differently. Um, the first week of school, we bring them in. We do an assessment in the weight room um, from you know, range of motion, um, all that different type of stuff. Um, so, I, you know, I like to think that we coach each hitter differently. Um, the things I believe in are pretty basic. Um, the three things that we talk about a lot are balance, posture and a slot. 
So for me, balance, what I mean is like, obviously it's, it's, it's common knowledge that you want to be balanced throughout your swing. Um, specifically for me, balance means like I want like limited head movement. Um, you're definitely going to have some forward movement in the swing, but it, it's, it's proven studies over the last 30 years that some of the best hitters, the majority of the best hitters in the game limit their head movement the most. Um, what I mean by, you know, posture is, is kind of like a hip hinge. So if you have good posture, it's going to, it's going to put you in a good position to, you know, get into your hip and give you some good power output. Um, coaching getting into the hip is very difficult for college hitters. Um, nine out of 10, it's very difficult for them to understand. So we try to put them in constraints where at least we can get them hinging the right way. Um, that that does a good job with it. Um, and then what I mean by slot, man, just, just firing or launch position, as other people would say, from a good slot. Um, not a big fan of the vertical slot um, that you'll see a lot of times or kind of the chicken wing elbow um, that people are kind of swinging up right now. So I'm very specific about um, the slot. I think probably 95% of big leaguers when their front foot is down are all in the same place. Um, you'll have some rarities for guys like Joey Votto or Ronald Acuna or Justin Turner that do it a little differently. Um, but they're God given freaks that aren't meant to say, Hey, look at this and teach this way. So I'm in the mold of like, what do 95% of the great hitters do? Um, and kind of model off that a little bit. And that, that makes sense because especially since you're like, you know, like, like you just mentioned, you have all these hitters, you can't, I mean, it, it just, it makes sense to, to focus on doing what the majority do versus like a few outliers and, yeah. You know, you brought up on social media about, you know, all these weird swings that are going on where it's like, there's no way some, I see some, I see some of these facilities, every player looks exactly the same. Like every swing is exactly the same. I, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's frustrating for me. And you know, it's, I have to tread lightly as a college coach because right. it's not getting into, but you know, I, I just, I, you know, anybody that wants to cookie cut a hitter is, is just doing doing the kid at this service. Um, you know, that's why, you know, to add on what we do with our guys, the first three weeks of hitting, I don't even say anything to them. You know, I just watch, mm. I mean, who am I to say like, you know, these guys have worked so hard their whole life and been super successful, you know, and then the first week I'm going to start telling them to do stuff and change things. So the first two or three weeks of practice, I just watch, you know, I'm just trying to learn them. Um, what makes them tick a little bit, how they move because, you know, if if Ricky Henderson or Rod Carew or Tony Batista or Juan Gonzalez or Julio Franco, if all these guys hit today, they would be vilified on the internet of how bad it looked um, and, and and all that. And you know, sometimes there's some God-given um, talented hitters that that look differently and move differently, but they were really really good. So you know, it's my job if a kid's going to come in here and hit 300 with the ugliest batting stance and and, and swing ever, I'm not going to say a word, you know, i.e. Hunter Pence and all that. So, um, but you know, if he starts to struggle, if he doesn't understand certain things, if he doesn't know how to develop himself at night and what certain cues to look for, th that's where I come in, you know what I mean? And, and just getting them to understand themselves. Um, that's the key. When, when you, uh, when you guys are like, you know, playing inner squad games and, you know, playing, playing fall ball, all that stuff. Do you talk about like how to manage the strike zone and things of that nature? Or is it just, you wait for that for the actual season? Now, now we'll start on that immediately because, you know, to me, 
Um, so I, I kind of created this thing last year. It was the first season I did it, and I called it the hitter efficiency rating. So I went back every single night, and I watched every single pitch of every single bat. And what I did was I gave it a report card to them the next morning, every morning. And it was not results-based at all. Um, it was, are they swinging at the pitches they should? How many balls they swung at? Um, and did they strike out? So I, I started on a 4.0 grading scale and went down from there. Um, because I want them to understand that you can have the best mechanics in the world and you can be the best BP hitter. But if you don't have a good approach and you don't, you're not swinging at the pitches you should, um, you're not going to be successful. And what you saw with those numbers, it correlated with the highest batting averages and the highest quality at bat percentage. So I thought that was important, especially for today's kid. Opinions no longer matter. Like you have to show um, today's athlete. You have to show them. You have to physically show them, whether it's video um, whether it's a report card, you have to show them because just an opinion isn't good enough anymore. So I thought that was extremely beneficial last year to kind of go about it that way where it wasn't results based at all. Didn't care if they got a hit, you know, flew out. And that way they could kind of understand that just going about the process, um, of having a good at bat and swinging at the right pitches will correlate with having success. Um, so we kind of hit on that definitely right from the beginning of the fall. Um, or we're looking for something hard out over the plate, um, something they can drive. But sometimes that changes. You know, um, we had Maxwell Costas this year. He's a freshman All-American. He just hit 15 home runs this summer. So Ooh. he had yeah had 30 home runs from the spring and, and the summer. Um, he was a freshman All-American. The kid stands right on top of the plate. Um, so anything that goes over the plate, he, he just mashes. So I'm not going to try to tell that kid to have the same approach as maybe our leadoff guy. So he can get away with a little bit more, but he's super efficient in what he does. So, um, you know, I think for the most part, you know, you, you try to give the kids structure for a certain approach and a plan um, that we want at Maryland. Um, but that can obviously change per the hitter, too. Do you, like what do you say during the game as a hitting coach? Is it is it just kind of like you've been saying, and you know it's different for each player? Or mm -hmm. do you? I mean, is there like are you going up there like telling them like, hey, look, look for this pitch and this count. You know, he he has this type of tendency. Like, what do you do during the game? Well, I, was, I mean, we do we do a lot of scouting stuff, and I'm not huge on the video with players because I think it's a sense it could be sensory overload from them and. You know, that's an argument we've had even within our staff. Like, you know, everybody's different. I know some coaches do video, some don't. Um, I like them to see arm angle, um, what's their out pitch and their velo. So um, I like I think that's essential for a hitter, but I don't like to get into a ton of tendencies because then that just gets them out of their approach. Um, I think hitters should integrate the scouting report into their game, not change their game because of it. So um, during the game, to be honest with you, um, when I'm coaching third, I have a different external cue for every hitter um, because their brain, each hitter works differently. So Maxwell Costa is the kind of masher I just told you. He tends to be so quick. Um, I'll tell him something like slow feet. So if I tell him slow feet, it may just slow him down a tick to where then he explodes a little bit more. Maybe he can cover the outside part of the plate a little bit better. Um, so everybody's different. But I try to just use external cues on game day. Um, it's not a time to make an adjustment mechanically. Um, it's time to compete. So if anything, I'm just giving external cues for something that I think the kid could understand. What if, what if a player is like, um, I know cause I'm, I'm just wanted to bring this up cause you know, you had mentioned before about how strikeouts are going way up and, and, and everything. Mm -hmm. If a player is really struggling with plate discipline and striking out a lot, 
is there something you say to him to like keep it simple like only look for a fastball or like what would you tell someone like that again i think it's different for everyone it's like what kind of strikeouts like you know that's where you can kind of get in the mechanical part and we can talk about this if you want with the launch angle stuff like attack angle is the most important thing for me for a hitter attack angle not launch angle you can't teach launch angle but your attack angle um can be consistent so I think it's glaringly obvious if I have a kid that's striking out a ton, that's attack angles 15 to 20 degrees, he's too steep. OK, um, if a kid's zero to five degrees, he's he's too level. So that could be something that's just very basic, that his swing pattern is consistent enough to where he's going to strike out if that's his swing pattern. So we'll use blasts a little bit in practice and in our fall games and our practice games. So the kids understand what their attack angle is for people that don't know what attack angle is. The pitcher's you know, throwing a ball in at negative five, negative 10 degrees, um, depending on how tall they are, the release point, whatever it may be. So the hitter has to have an opposite effect to be consistent. You might have a leadoff guy that's about a positive five to positive 10 attack angle. You might have your power hitters that are, you know, 10 to 15, 10 to 17. But that could be just a basic mechanical glaring effect of why they're striking out a lot. Um, and then the other one is like a hitter efficiency rating, like I was talking about, like, what kind of pitches are they swinging at? Are they swinging outside the zone? Um, are they just um, have a bad approach? Are they guessing? So I think it's twofold when it comes to that. Uh, before the game starts, like during BP, do they like what type of rounds do you guys have? Man, I'm telling you, like this is the one thing, and this is what's great about hitting. I've tried everything. We've tried everything. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, this year I threw I threw breaking balls. I threw breaking balls in batting practice. Wow. Um, uh, I throw pr pretty decent BP, so I was able to control it. Um, you know what the craziest thing, I t I've talked about this a few times, the craziest thing was um, we gave the blast to our guys and did a two-strike round, and we had all like eight to ten hitters in the two-strike round change their swing by ten degrees. Whoa. So, ten degrees, yep, on the blast. So they had no reason why they did it. They were in a controlled environment of BP, not worrying about failure. So you want to talk about something that absolutely blew my doors off that shocked me is that even in a two strike round in batting practice, the guys changed their swing by eight to 10 degrees. That's true. So, That's huge. Yeah. So that just tells you how large the mental aspect in baseball is. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's huge. And, and that's why. I tried to focus on once I saw that, that's when I kind of came up with the hitter efficiency rating, because if I could if I could focus on the process more and them getting the swing at the pitches they should, um, that's obviously the most important fact, because two strike hitting. I mean, any any coach, we can all argue about this till we're blue in the face. Um, and, you know, my my thing is the best hitters don't get to two strikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, I yeah, and again, and again, you could always say, "Well, what about Joey Votto?" And again, we could say that's an outlier. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Show, show, he's just not consistent. Like, yeah, there's great two strike hitters. There's guys that are very good bat the ball, but you know, I would say the majority just look at the numbers. It's going up at at, at an alarming rate. What about bunting? Yeah. Um. So our offense, like, we tailor our offense not to, not to kind of what exactly we want we try to tailor to the team so you know coach chef i love him to death you know he he just has a tendency he likes small ball he likes to play station to station and he's been very successful doing that so i think every coach is different what we try to do is um is tailor the offense to the team um not any one way i don't 
I'm not in love with bunting. I, I, I totally don't like doing it with a man on first base. That's for sure. Um, more importantly, we're just trying to get a guy to third base with less than two outs. So depending on the situation, that's what we're trying to do. Um, I think it's necessary for certain times, but I think it just all depends on your team, you know, and that can change from week to week, from game to game. You know what I mean? Depending on is seven, eight, nine coming up and, uh, you want a safety to get, you know, a second run in the inning. Um, so I, I, we just kind of tailor it to the team. I would say overall where we want to be super aggressive. Um, I think that effort doesn't take talent. So, you know, that's going first to third. Um, that's, that's running hard on, on everything out of the box. So, um, I just think that needs to be a mentality of, of how we coach and, and, and kind of what we do at Maryland baseball. Yeah. And, and again, I think the college game's different so much, um, and the fact that it, first of all, it's about winning. Like you need, you want to win games. And the other thing is, if you're bunting for a hit, I guess. I mean that, that's a tough play a lot of times for a third base. And if it's a good bunt, and yeah. I don't know, I my like I get it. Like I'm a hitting coach too, and like I love you know hitting line drives and home runs and everything. But at the same time, like I want to win too. So I mean, I you know again, you brought up the point. It just kind of depends on the situation and the players. Yeah, for me, it's funny you bring up that point because, I mean, I've been beating my head. I love bunting for a hit. You know, I had good numbers in college, but I used that to my advantage of never really getting into a slump. So I tell my guys all the time, man, if the third baseman's giving it to you, I don't care if you hit three home runs on the day. And a lot of response I'll get back is, Coach, man, I feel good at the plate. And it's like, what don't you understand? It has nothing to do with you feeling good at the plate. The guy has given you three steps behind the bag. He's given you a hit. You can choose to be fair or foul with it, and you're going to hand it off to your teammate um, in a good way to, to give our, our team a chance to win. So I think it's it just has a negative connotation with today's kids because, again, when we come back to showcase baseball, um, it never happens. Nobody bunts. It, it's, it's, it's basically an anomaly. I can tell you how many times I saw it uh, on my fingers in, in an entire summer. And, and – Again, like you just said, I'm not a huge, huge bunk guy, but when we talk about uh, shortening and lengthening the field, or lengthening and shortening the field rather, if I can bring that guy in to play even or a step, you know, in front, now that six hole opens up, um, and that could be a big inning for us. So to me, it's just about understanding how to play the game more than anything else. Um, I one of the things that I'm on is Instagram a lot of times, and I post a lot of stuff on there, and I. I'm buddies with uh, uh, Jason Ferber, Coach Ferber, and I see him. He's I feel like he's always down at your guys' field or just with one of the coaches or something. Mm -hmm. um, you, yeah, Coach, yeah, Coach Ferber is a, a good friend of ours. Like it, He started a relationship with, with Corey, our pitching coach, a while ago, and um, he's been great. We've gotten a few of his players, have a great relationship with him, um, super relatable, comes down and plays in our golf tournament, comes down and plays in our team camps. Um, and obviously like, yeah, just see him on social media all the time. Um, super respectful to that guy, man. He's, he's in it for the right reasons. Um, he's obviously one of the most comedic figures in, in, in kind of the, um, <laughs> the industry right now, but I think he does it right. You're talking about a guy that well, for showcase stuff, he gets it. He, he, he comes in, he wants to learn, um, what do college coaches want to see? How can I become a better coach? Um, it's not just about money or, um, this, that, or the other. And I'm not saying all showcase teams are, I'm not saying they're all about money, but I think he just gets it. And, uh, he's in it for the relationships part. And if more coaches were in it for the relationships and in it for the right reasons for the kids and putting them in good spots, we'd be in a better place. 
Absolutely agree. And you can, like you said, you can just follow him on social media and you can tell right away, like he's, he's in it for the right reason. Like he, like you said, he, he, you know, is in it for those relationships and it's awesome to see. Speaking of summer baseball, um, did you, did you see that the, uh, like Orlando Scorpions are kind of changing how they do their summer circuit where they don't even do tournaments at all in June? They just invite college coaches down there. And then if you have heard of that, like, what do you think of it? Well, I have no, I have not heard that just because we don't recruit a lot in Florida just because it doesn't make sense for us. Okay. Um, but um, I don't mind it. Like, to be honest, like um, that's kind of like the model where it used to be, where regionally, whether it was a, you know, a Babe Ruth team or an organization or um, a, a summer team or a Legion team, that's kind of how it went. Um, I think what we've done is last year we were kind of ahead of the fold a little bit. We started doing team camps. So we're running our own, um, kind of tournament where we have six to eight teams on campus. Um, and we're doing a hitting competition. Um, we're giving them a tour of the campus, um, a bunch of that stuff. And we can actually coach them during the games, um, while they're on our field. So I like that model because it's six to eight really competitive teams that we know are going to play hard and get good competition as opposed to sometimes in Georgia I'm driving 80 miles um, and it's 14 nothing after the third inning and I can't assess anything and then I got to drive another 60 miles back to the next game. So um, the only downfall to that is, is obviously we invite other college coaches to come to our team camps, but you're not appealing to the masses so you're kind of trying to get the same teams and organizations um fighting with other colleges so i wish there were some way that regionally or you know you know we could kind of get a better hold on that um but i think you'll see you know some innovative stuff coming in the next five years where you know perfect game is does does a good job so does pbr like you know they're trying to showcase talent and i get it um it just makes it difficult sometimes when you have 380 teams in a tournament. Do you watch um, like some of the recruiting videos and stuff of like on PBR and perfect game? Yeah, I do. I think it's a good resource for us um, just because, you know, these days it's hard to hide a kid. I mean, the internet is undefeated with that. So um, you're not, you're, you're not going to get any surprises. So yeah, I think it's good. It's a good tool because, you know, you're able to assess maybe what they look like two years ago compared to now. Um, so I think those things are definitely, um, give exposure to kids and they're good. I mean, I don't pay much attention to the rankings because my opinion's obviously very different than Jeremy Brown for perfect game or maybe shooter hunt who's doing PBR. Like, um, that's why this game is so great. I mean, you got guys drafted from all walks of life. So, um, I definitely still think they're good resources and we do, you know, we'll utilize any video and, and kind of, um, online resource that we can. Uh, last question. Do you find that you like um, know or find out about recruits through those summer coaches or is it kind of just on your own searching um, online? Yeah, it's 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 mostly relationship based. I think um, these days what I and I'll say this, too, I don't like how early it is. You know, I, I think it's it's not right to have an eighth and ninth grader who really can't visit campus commit to an institution. I just doesn't rub me the right way. Um, but it's also, you know, part of my jobs on the line, um, to get good players. So, um, it's a very fine line. So when a kid is really young, we've committed a few kids in ninth grade, um, where they were from the state of Maryland, they've been to camp. I know their high school coaches very well. And the relationship within that was solidified. Um, 
So most of the time, yeah, it's relationship based. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're watching kids, you know, in eighth and ninth grade that are um, a perfect game or PBR or um, in Florida or, or all these other types of things. So I just think the Internet these days, the kids are doing even with the futures games. They have a young futures games now where it's like sixth, seventh and eighth graders. So, um, yeah, it's, and that was in Georgia, too. So I, I just think that you're going to hear about kids, whether you like it or not, through relationships with coaches and they'll kind of give you a heads up. But um, there isn't really any gyms anymore that you're just driving up to a field and you're seeing and you're looking around like, hey, does anybody know about this guy? That's that's an extreme rarity. Gotcha. Matt, again, man, really appreciate you coming on. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. And um, keep it up, man. Again, thanks again. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure.